going to be in Matthew chapter 2 tonight, Matthew chapter 2, and uh, we have been looking on some Wednesday nights and some Sunday nights at the thought of the gift that keeps on giving. You know, truly Jesus is that gift, amen? Jesus is the gift that keeps on giving. We've, we've talked thus far about how, how he is the gift of peace that keeps on giving. We've talked about how his gift of salvation is the gift that keeps on giving. And tonight from Matthew chapter 2 and many, many other passages, my goal on this Wednesday night is to overwhelm you with scripture over the next couple of minutes. We're going to talk about the gift that keeps on giving, joy. Joy. Because Jesus is our joy, amen? Amen. And that just keeps on giving. Matthew chapter 2. And to stand with me, if you would, out of respect for the reading of God's word, a, a very familiar passage. And we're going to look at the wise men this evening. The Bible says, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. And when Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea. For thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when ye have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. And when they had heard the king, they departed. And lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great Joy. When they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Father, we love you. And Lord, I pray that uh, as we take some time tonight and look into your word, and Lord, be reminded that Jesus truly is the greatest gift that has ever been given, the greatest gift that has ever been received. And a part of that gift is a joy from you that just keeps on giving. And Lord, as we consider this tonight from from the wise men, Father, I pray that again our hearts would be open. Lord, it's a Wednesday night. Many of us are tired. Lord, it's winter. And many of us are tired. But Father, tonight, give us special attention to receive and to hear all that you have for us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You know, over in Luke chapter 2, the angel has a message, and the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. What were those tidings of joy? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ 
the Lord. And so as we consider the gift of Jesus, we have to consider that wrapped up in that gift is a joy that just keeps on giving. Now, Understand joy. Joy is not some vague emotion or expression of happiness that comes from the excitement of the season around us. If that were the case, joy would come and joy would go. And I will tell you, there's a lot of things, a lot more things in this world to be unjoyful about than to be joyful about. But joy doesn't come from the world around us. Joy, real joy, Christian joy... The deep abiding joy that the world cannot take comes not from the world around us, but from the Lord above us and from the Spirit within us. And here's the thing. They don't change. Amen? And since they don't change, my joy doesn't have to change either. And so I want to see tonight from the wise men two thoughts about how we can find joy in Jesus like they did, not just today, not just this season, but every day by God's grace. Look back at verse number 8 of Matthew chapter 2. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when ye have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. And when they had heard the king, they departed. And lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star... They rejoiced with exceeding great joy. First of all, church, may we be reminded this evening that we can find joy in his guidance. We can find joy, lasting joy, abiding joy, real joy in his guidance. The wise men rejoiced when they saw the star and when the star led them where they needed to go. They rejoiced in the guidance of God. Now, I want you to think about this tonight. God has proved himself reliable time and time again. Now, GPS has come a long way, amen? I can remember not too many years ago when I got married, my buddies and I, we stayed up all night and uh, goofed around, and then we got up at like 3 o'clock in the morning and tried to find Walmart in the barren wasteland of Michigan. We punched it into every GPS we could find. We went around and around and around and around, but we never found Walmart in the barren wasteland of Michigan. Didn't happen. Now GPS has gotten a little bit better. Amen. I was driving yesterday. I missed a turn. I had no idea where I was going. But GPS is so good, my passenger didn't even know we were lost. Because all it did was reroute and buzz to my ear where to take the next turn. And the people in the car had no idea I wasn't even going in the right direction. Glory, hallelujah, amen. Isn't it amazing how we trust a computer with a sketchy but improving track record, and yet very often we struggle to trust God who has a perfect track record. You know, when you look into the Bible, you study the Bible, I want you to be overwhelmed with the fact that God always does everything he says he will do. Always. I just, just consider Jesus and some of the many prophecies about the Lord Jesus. The coming of Christ and the life of Christ provide us with so many examples of God doing exactly what God said he was going to do. 
The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse number 14, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. By the way, for those of you who've finished high school biology, I'm going to tell you, that was quite a claim. And yet God did exactly what God said he was going to do. Amen? In Micah chapter 5 and verse number 2, we actually read the, chief, the, the scribes here quote it, that, that the Christ child would be born where? Would be born in Bethlehem, a little backwoods town. And yet, God said it, and God did it, amen? Isaiah 9 and verse number 6, we see, For unto us a child is born, for unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Aren't you glad that God doesn't do some of what he says? God does all of what he says every time. You can look at passages like Isaiah 6 and how it talks about the Lord is, the, the, the Messiah is going to speak and preach in parables. Now, these are some of the really cool ones. I mean, Zechariah has some of the coolest messianic prophecies in all of Scripture. You want to dive into an awesome book, dive into Zechariah from the Old Testament. Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass, upon the colt, the foal of an ass. And so we have prophecy that what Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, was going to do what? He was going to present himself to his people, what, on a donkey. And that's exactly what Jesus did on Palm Sunday. Amen? Zechariah chapter 11, verses 12 and 13 detail how the Messiah would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, exactly as he was. Isaiah 50 and verse number 6. The Bible says, I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair, and I hid not my face from shame and spitting, detailing hundreds and hundreds of years before Messiah came that he would be mercilessly beaten by his own creation. Psalm 22 and verse number 18 prophesied how the garments of Messiah would be taken, how, how the, the soldiers there would cast lots upon his vesture. Psalm 22.1 details the cry of the cross, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Isn't it amazing that, that God knows exactly what will be and that God does everything he says he will do. Zechariah 12 and verse number 10 speaks of, uh, really this is future, but it details what happened to Messiah. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication, and they shall look upon him whom they have pierced. In Isaiah 53, 9, it details how Messiah would be, would be crucified with the wicked, but he would have his tomb with the rich. And thus Jesus did, being laid to rest for three days in a rich man's tomb. In Psalm 16, in verse number 10, we have the prophecy that the Lord would not be left in the realm of the dead, but that he would rise again. 
And we can go to prophecy after prophecy after prophecy after prophecy. And you know what? If you just take a little bit of time and study God's word, we, we will be absolutely overwhelmed with the fact that God always keeps his word. That God always does everything that God says he's going to do. We see it over and over and over and over again. But it gets even better, amen? It gets even better. In the words of the old infomercial, but wait, there's more. You see, God not only does everything he says he would do, but God is always right on time when he does it. Galatians 4 and verse number 4 says, But when the fullness of time was come, right on time, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, that he might redeem them that were under the law. You think about this. How did the wise men know what the deal with the star was? How did the wise men know where to start? How did the wise men know where to go? Theirs was an incredible journey of over 900 miles, several months of travel across very treacherous stretches of desert and land and mountains. Why would these well-to-do, highly respected men take on this journey? What would lead them to leave their posts and go this way? Well, I believe they knew because of Scripture. You see, they were probably from the land of Babylon in that region. And my guess would be, my belief would be that they had access to some of Daniel's writings. So there's this really cool part in Daniel chapter 9. Again, you want to get into a book that's got some awesome prophecy? The back half of Daniel. It is incredible that, that and it shouldn't be all that mind-blowing that God knows like what's going to happen, uh, but, but it is incredible how much detail God gives us, and it's also incredible how much detail God gives us and how much we still doubt him, but we'll pause on that. So Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 26, you want to dive into the deep end of the pool, spend some time in these verses, study these things out. So, so Daniel here, he, he gets this instruction, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, and to make reconciliation for iniquity, and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Well, that's a lot right there, isn't it? Amen. But it's good stuff. Amen. He says, know therefore and understand that the going forth from the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the prince, shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. And the streets shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. So let me give you a little bit of prophetic understanding. So we have 70 weeks. Now these are not weeks of days. I'll spare you a lot of the backstory, and this would be a good study for you to do. But these are weeks of years. So when we're talking about uh, 70 weeks, uh, we're not talking about 490 days. We're talking about 490 days. 
years. And so we have here uh, three score, seven, and three score, and two weeks. So that is 69 weeks, right? So 69 weeks of years. So that's going to be what? 483 years. I should have wrote the math in my notes. I did not. Last time I didn't write the math in my notes, I said the United States was 2,000 years old, and that was wrong. So, but I think I'm good on this one. 483 years. Now, here's the cool thing. And again, do the study yourself. Now, when did this start? God gave us a start date. Go back, go back, go back. Go back. First half of that verse. First half, first half. Know therefore and understand from the going forth of the commandment to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. By the way, that is a known date in history. We have that date in the history books. And so we can mark it and then you can do math. Or you can trust the people who are smarter than you and I to do math. Because again, you know, like calendars, like the Jewish calendar is not the same as our calendar. Then there's this other calendar and it's got a blah, blah. But anyways, we can get there reliably. Amen. Again, do the study. By the way, you do the math. Do you know where we end up? In, in our terms, we end up somewhere around the spring of A.D. 30, A.D. 31-ish. Now, what do you think was happening around Easter in the early 80s, 30s. Well, that's when Jesus presented himself to the nation. And so these wise men said, hmm, well, wait a minute. In 30 or so years, give or take, Messiah the Prince is going to be presenting himself. And now all of a sudden we have this star in the east. I don't know about you, but I bet they're connected. And so what do we find? We find that even these men were able to do what? Rely on the fact that God not only does what he says he's going to do, but that God is always right on time. And use that to find Jesus. You know, as they followed the star to where Jesus was, the Bible says when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. I'm going to tell you, church, you know, we can still find great joy in the guidance of our God. God has always done what he said he will do. God has always been right on time. I'm going to tell you, God is not done directing, amen? God's not done giving direction. How many of us, we know that there is joy in our hearts when, we're no, when we know we're headed in the right way? I can remember this was before smartphones and, and GPSs being wild, widely used. We went to a family wedding in New Jersey, the land of manners and politeness and glory. I remember on the way to the wedding, we got off on the wrong exit. And we ended up in a part of downtown Trenton, New Jersey. It was literally kids duck down part of the city. Uh, don't be seen. And uh, there was not a lot of joy in our hearts. And there was not a lot of joy in our car. But when we got back going the right way, isn't there a joy in our hearts when we know we're headed in the right direction? When our life's on track? When we're moving according to our purpose? I'm going to tell you, Christian, you ought to have great joy knowing that you don't have to figure out life on your own. 
If we just stop and look, you know what we're always going to find? We're always going to find that Jesus is the light that we need. Jesus said in John 8 and verse number 12, he said this, Then spake Jesus unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Isn't it good to know that Jesus is still a light? And that his word is still a lamp unto our feet. Psalm 119, 105, and a light unto our path. And as Paul said in 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, that the scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Christian, we don't have to figure it out on our own. Hey, I can have great joy in knowing that as I follow Jesus and I follow his word, that my life will be on track, that I'll be headed in the right direction, that I don't have to sweat the small stuff because I'm walking with God and he's in control. You know what? We don't, th this world, well, my truth, your truth, this is right. Well, in, in, you, stop it. You and I don't have to spend a lot of time wondering, well, what's right and what's wrong? We just need to follow Jesus, amen? amen? You know, the great thing about Jesus is he not only shows us the difference between what's right and wrong, he shows us the difference between what's better and best. He shows us the difference between what's important and what's, what's unimportant. So many people sweating the things that aren't important. So many people losing sleep about things that won't matter next week, much less next year, much less next century. But you know what? Maybe if we stopped leaning on our own understanding and started simply walking in the light as he is in the light, we would find great joy in the fact that Jesus is still giving us guidance every step of the way. Amen. There's great joy in knowing that God has always done what he said he would do, and that God is always right on time. There's great joy in knowing that God is not done directing and leading I'm going to tell you, there's also great joy, not only in the fact that I don't have to figure it out on my own, but also in that I don't have to go it alone. That he is the good and great shepherd. John 10, verse 14, Jesus said this, I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep and am known of mine. In verse 27, Jesus says this, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. You see, we don't have to figure it out ourselves, and we don't have to go it by ourselves. We get to walk with the shepherd. The good shepherd leads his sheep to the provision they need. Psalm 23, beginning in verse 2, reminds us that he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He not only leads us to provision, He also leads us through difficulty. Yeah. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For Thou art with me. Thy rod and Thy staff, they comfort me. And I'm going to tell you, church, there's joy in knowing that He will never leave us or forsake us. There's joy in knowing that he will be that friend that sticks closer than a brother. Jesus is the gift that just keeps on giving. And church, we can still find joy in his personal, present 
practical guidance that he wants to give us every single day. So we can find joy in his guidance. They saw the star. They came to the house. They rejoiced with an exceeding great joy. God guided them and he'll guide you. He absolutely will. But look at verse 11. And when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now you remember way back from verse number 2 of Matthew 2, who were the wise men looking for? In verse number 2, they said, where is he that is born? Who are they looking for, church? King of the Jews. We have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. The wise men were searching for a king. In verse number 11, we see that they presented a gift of gold fit for a king. We find in verse number 11 as well that they worshiped the Christ child as the divine king. Well, as you know, the life of Christ, Christ in his 33 or so years as he walked the earth, did not come to sit on the throne of David in his earthly life. Church, that was not the reason for his first coming. In Mark 10 and verse 45, we see that reason. For the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. So during the earthly life of Christ, he did not come to sit on the throne of David. But church, I got good news. Because today, King Jesus sits on the throne of heaven. And one day, King Jesus will come again, amen? And he will rule and reign on earth. This is God's guarantee for humanity. And so, let's find joy in Jesus, amen? Let's find joy in his guidance. The fact that he will always lead me. But secondly, let's find joy in his guarantees. King Jesus is coming Again, John 14, Jesus said this, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. He said, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. He said, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. I love how Paul wrote about it in 1 Thessalonians 4, beginning in verse number 13. He said, I would have not have you be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and we do, church, amen, then even so, them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with them. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or precede them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. I'm going to tell you, when you think about the guarantees that Jesus has given us, 
Church, we ought to find joy to think of the reunions that will come. You know what? We've lost a number of good people in this church. I, I think about a number of these men be able to get to heaven and to be able to hug Mike Neisler's neck again. Corby Blanton. Think of the men that, that, that have served here so faithfully. Think of the ladies. I think of Miss Tina and others. Think of Benita Often. And you think of the reunions that are going to take place in that day. I'm going to tell you, it ought to put some joy in our heart. There's a lot of ugly around us, but there's a lot of joy ahead of us, amen? Think of the reunions. Think of the reality. We will ever be with the Lord. Think of the reward. Jesus said in Revelation 22, 12, he said this, Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give to every man according as his work shall be. It ought to be a joy to us to think about the fact that our God keeps a perfect set of books and every wrong will be made right. It ought to be a joy to us to think that one day all things will be restored and God will even go so far as to recreate heaven and earth for us. I tell you, it ought to be a joy to us to think of everything that will be gone, will be removed forever. Small glimpse of that in Revelation 21 and verse number 4. God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain. For the former things are passed away. I'm going to tell you, maybe this makes me a bad person, but it puts a little joy in my heart to think of the ruin of Satan. It puts joy in my heart to think one day I'm going to let go of this sinful flesh forever. It puts joy in my heart to think one day that the curse will be reversed. And I'm going to tell you, you think of God's guidance, and it ought to put joy in our hearts. You think of God's guarantee. You know, we looked at a, a couple of the promises. God, is, God has fulfilled dozens and hundreds of prophecies. But I'm going to tell you what, there are dozens and hundreds of things yet to be fulfilled. And God's going to bring every one of them to pass. Amen. Oh, let the scholars doubt. Scholars, sorry. Because Jesus will do exactly as he said he will do. Let modern man mock. Because God will not fail. And there ought to be a joy in our hearts when we remember that the best is truly yet to come. Romans 8.18 The older I get, and I know I'm not that old. But it's one of the few times I'll agree with David Warwick. It's not the years, it's the miles. <laughs> Verses like Romans 8:18, 8, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared. They're not even worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. I love the holiday season. You know, you think about Thanksgiving, and I've used the illustration before. Grandma would say, hold on to your fork, right? You finish, the, you finish the meal, but hold on to your fork. Why? Because the best is yet to come. And so you need the fork, amen, for not the pumpkin pie. Don't do the pumpkin pie, uh, but for the apple pie or the peach pie or basically any other kind of pie. Can I get an amen? Amen. 
Thank you. Any other kind of pie for, for the pound cake or the regular cake or whatever. Save the fork. The best is yet to come. You know, the kids get all excited. You know, we do this thing from time to time where, where we let the kids open a gift on Christmas Eve. And, uh, you know, it kind of gets that taste in their mouth and they get excited because Christmas Day is coming. And now my kids, they're just a bunch of little greedy kids. Now they're like, Christmas Eve's not good enough, Dad. You know, before God made Eve, God made Adam. Not that Christmas Eve has anything to do with Eve and Genesis, but they were like, if we get to open one on Christmas Eve, we should open one on Christmas Adam. Can we open one on Christmas? I'm like, you people, stop it. Stop it. It's been going on for like two years. We ought to get a present for Christmas Adam. Stop. Oh. Christmas Adam, amen. I'm going to tell you, you look into this book and there's some things worth getting excited about. There's some things worth having some joy about. You know, joy, abiding joy, unfailing joy, Joy that keeps on giving comes from the fact that knowing that God has not just come to us, God has come for us. He comes from knowing the fact that God has not just come for us, but God is willing to walk with us and give us faithful direction. You know, I fear sometimes we lack joy, not because we lack direction, but because we are unwilling to take it. Don't let Satan lie to you. The way of the transgressor is hard. Don't let Satan lie to you. He'll promise you freedom, but he will steal, kill, and destroy everything that matters. Joy, joy, joy doesn't come from escaping following Jesus. It comes from following Jesus and following him more closely every day. God's will is good, acceptable, and perfect. You want joy this Christmas season? You want joy not just today, but every day? Follow Jesus. Get as close as you possibly can to him. He doesn't fail. I'm going to tell you, in addition to the joy of walking with God in this life, joy comes from knowing that we can look forward to all that God has planned for us. I'm afraid sometimes we lack joy because we look for our jollies in this life instead of looking for joy from the one who gave us life. Joy doesn't come from that which is under the tree, but from the one who hung on a tree. And when you consider what he has done, he has planned for us, the Bible says, What he has planned for us is beyond anything that we have seen, heard, or even imagined. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. There is so much joy available to us when we receive Christ.